I just have to think nobody gives a shit what you do. <laughs> just like nobody gives a fuck. Like only you do, but maybe some of your friends and people who hate you or people who love you. Like very, like just wh- why not do it, right? Like no one's going to see it really. I don't know. That's my, <laughs> that's my kind of little blinker. I just put some blinkers on and go like, no one cares. I'm Jordan Kistner, author of the essay collection Thin Places, and this is Thresholds, a weekly series of conversations with writers and artists about moments of epiphany or transformation that changed their lives and their work. A moment that they stepped across, like a threshold, into something new, and the way that experience changed everything they wrote afterward. Hi, we're back. We took a good break at the end of 2021 to rest and have spent the first few weeks of 2022 dreaming up some ideas for this next year of Thresholds, including some exciting guests, a live event coming later this year, and a slightly new way of organizing our programming, which is what I want to tell you about now. We're going to try something new in the spirit of the new year. Starting today, we'll be organizing our episodes into little mini capsule collections throughout the year four or five conversations at a time that speak to some particular idea or theme that's on our minds. The broader theme of the series will stay the same, thresholds. But within that, we're going to make little excursions into mini-series on, say, translation or self-invention or suburbia or cake. Probably not cake. We may not do it forever, but we're going to try it and see if we like it. And if you like it, starting today. Our first collection of episodes for this year is, fittingly, on experimentation in art and in life. Our first guest is the artist and writer Leanne Shapton. You may know her books like Guest Book, Swimming Studies, Women in Clothes, or maybe you've seen her watercolors in the Paris Review or the New York Times on the covers of books or over at the New York Review of Books, where she's the new art director. I wanted to talk to Leanne because she's one of those people whose work seems totally idiosyncratic and unafraid to change. Most recently, she's finished a book of images of Princess Diana getting out of cars. We talked about how she organizes all her various projects, how she identifies the moment when a set of playful experiments coalesces into a project, and how she psychs herself up to try something that feels new and scary and out of her comfort zone, like her most recent attempt at poetry. Here's Leanne Shapton. I am not an athlete anymore <laughs> in any capacity. So when I say being an athlete, it's past, past, past life um, and tense. Um, but it, it's, um, as I try to explain in, um, in swimming studies, it's a, it's a form of training like any other form of training. Um, it, it, um, you know, it's, it's boring, repetitive action over and over again in the hopes that you will attain speed, perfection, um, you know, uh, mastery. And it's, um, I'm glad I I had that. I didn't have a formal education of any sort. I'm glad I had uh, a sport and sort of an, I think swimming is a relatively interesting sport and a relatively introspective sport. Um, it's nonverbal, it's underwater. Um, you're naked basically like around (laughs) surrounded by other naked people. Um, and so I'm glad I had uh, that training, I guess, um, I could call it, and, and to apply to kind of, to kind of ideas and work because you you just fling yourself around um, as a body, you know, as, uh, you know, it, it's, the goal is, is temporal. The goal is to, to, to 
spend as little time in the water or on the track or in, you know, in this space as possible when, 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 um, I guess, is it a threshold when there's a speed, um, when there's a speed aspect to, to, uh, success. Um, but yeah, it's something that, uh, that it's something that just haunts me, I guess. It's something that just follows me around this idea that, okay, you've got this, you know, physical sense of, of time and work that you can put into, um, doing menial tasks that you can put into parenting that you can put into any kind of work or any kind of, um, you know, something where you need a longer view. Uh, so I, I found it, I find it and found it helpful. You, there's this passage in swimming studies, I guess maybe in the first third of it, where you write, you describe the very, very, like the last few meters of a race, which is mm-hmm. where, and I think the line was something like when the, when the training shows mm-hmm. or doesn't show that like either your breath and your stroke sustain or they fail at that moment. Mm-hmm. How has that, how has spending so much time in that interval, like right up at your limit, um, in this sort of state of extremis that is like also in conversation with this like repetitive, almost dull, like practicing, 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 doing over and over and over again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, how, how is like spending a lot of time in the, in the kind of interplay between those two states of being shaped the way that you are as a, as a person or as an artist or as a writer now? Right. Um, that's a good question. I, um, I, it's given me the ability to kind of imagine a project two years ahead, one year ahead, one month ahead, but actually not worry about it and sort of go, if I put in the time, if I put in the pages, if I, you know, I put in the hours, something's going to happen, <laughs> but maybe it'll be okay. Maybe it'll live or die. But, um, it's, it's that thing that what, what you work on isn't necessarily what the thing will look like. Um, like that end of a race when you are dying, when you feel on fire, when you can't breathe. Um, and you, you know, you're gonna, you know, sort of finish with a whimper or finish with a bang. It's kind of like you, you never know. And I, you know, I wasn't that great a swimmer. I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't, uh, I didn't go to the Olympics. I wasn't. And so it wasn't like years and years, but that that state that you describe is is kind of um you know where you're tested where you have confidence i'm not sure i'm answering your your question but i guess it gave me uh a certain confidence like a certain oh i've put in the hours we'll see we'll just see what happens um at the end <laughs> kind of a i don't like i i'm not that afraid of trying and failing. I'm not that afraid of, um, I'm not that afraid of, of starting something. I usually always finish and then I either shelve it or it it comes up, you know, it it might come up a year later. I might pull it out of a drawer, but, um, it's given me kind of a constant, um, little running, like kind of engine that, that always is kind of working and going. Um, and again, it, it, whether the, whether the work, uh, whether the quality of the work is less important that I keep that engine going. And then sometimes the quality will be good and up to my standard and sometimes it won't. So that, that sort of, um, that sort of distance from 
from my own work, probably that time as an, as an athlete probably helped. That kind of brought me to another question that I wanted to ask, because as you were talking, I was thinking that the what you're describing, a feeling not that afraid of trying and failing and kind of just trusting that if you put mm-hmm. in the hours, there will be something, which, by the way, please teach me that <laughs> ba- that balanced, grounded, reasonable approach. Uh, it, I really I mean, struggle with that. It doesn't make for great art all the time. It doesn't make for great work all the time. I Sometimes know, the but- work is cheesy and... Well, sure. But it strikes me when you're saying that, that those are kind of the conditions that are necessary for feeling like experimentation is possible. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm not that surprised to hear you say that, given that you've worked on, I mean, you've done all kinds of work, not just books, but you've worked on so many books that feel like um, ideas that I would have never like gotten off the ground in my, in my head, because I think like, oh, that's just, I'm not sure that that's going to work. I'm not sure that that's an idea. And you've chased them all the way through to these beautiful book projects. Um, and I, I want to hear, well, I want to hear sort of all your secrets for that, but, uh, I'm curious how you make space in your life, in your day, in your brain for continuing with things that you aren't sure will work. Right, right. There's a lot of folders. You should see my desktop. It's just folders. When my friend, this friend of mine, Michael, sees my aunt desktop and he's just like, this is why your hard drive is like, this is why your computer is so slow. It's just a lot of little holes that I'm sticking nuts into sort of all the time. Um, and then some of them will go somewhere and then some of them won't. Um, but that's, I mean, I love to work. That's also a thing of like, I love working. Um, and so, uh, it's, it's sort of a natural state for me to, if I'm not writing or if, yeah, if I'm not writing, I'm drawing, if I'm not drawing, I'm, you know, sewing bean bags, like doing something. I mean, there's all of this stuff around my apartment. <laughs> But um, like magnet fidgets, like just like there's just lots of lots of little um, there's lots of little useless industry that happens, you know. But at the same time, there's like oh, oh book proposal, that's great. Like fine, like at least there's that that got done at the same time. So it's it's a it's this funny little what would like where there's just all these fires that I stoke at the same time to see you know. I don't know. I think it, I think it's part of the process, um, to get one thing done. I probably have to do two or three at the same time as writers. I don't think this is uncommon. Um, just finding sources of income in different places. So again, it was a case of going, Oh, there's this work for hire. There's this review, there's this illustration, there's a strange, you know, mural job, you know, all these different things. And then where's my, where's, where do I get to just do my own thing. And so I really try to eke out space to do that and just, you know, do a series of paintings, series of paintings. I'm again, going back to that repetitive thing. Like I'll do series of paintings almost as mental health. Um, and those will either develop into something like one of them became a chapter in my next book or a little zine for this Swiss publication. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fires that I stoke at different periods. It's almost like, I don't even know my, my car, but there's like a, all these cylinders that cylinders that have to keep firing 
um, for the whole the whole thing to go forward. I had a I have an idea for my next bigger book, and I just said, okay, I will take these weeks of the summer, check into a crappy hotel, and do that, and not want to wander around on the beat, like not want to do anything because the hotel's so crap. You know, just you know, just this space and 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 do the hard stuff of do all the reading, read all the books, read all the history books, read all this, and then just eke out, you know, 10,000 words if possible. And so there's that kind of eking out of space. Um, that's that kind of carving out of space where I have to physically go somewhere. Um, while I don't have custody, you know, I, my ex and I split child custody 50, 50. And in, interestingly enough, <laughs> it's good for work. Like you get, you get a lot done when you don't have childcare on a daily, daily ba- basis. I miss her so much, but it's, uh, it's also interestingly, um, uh, easier to carve out space as a parent, um, uh, in some ways when, when there's this structure, uh, that divorce provides. <laughs> um, yeah, you're not the first yeah. person I've heard say that. <laughs> Yeah, the windfall. Also imagining because of the way you were describing having sort of always being working, even when that mm. just means like sewing bean bags or create, <laughs> you know, like collecting fidget spinners. Now I'm curious to to get like some more, maybe some more concrete examples of that. I'm like dying to know what is around you in your mm. in whatever room you're in right now, and mm-hmm. also like okay. what are the various fires you're you're running at any given time, right? Okay. How many so, folders are you populating <laughs> right now? <laughs> so I have, yeah, I have a desk, pretty much like a workspace in every room of my very small apartment. So at the, I'm in my bedroom because it's got a wall. I can, I, I use this desk in my bedroom. Um, it's got a wall behind me for zooms and work. It's got this plain wall. So I have set up here as that, you know, that space, the zoom mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have, two canisters of paintbrushes here. I have two open palettes of watercolor paint, a calculator, a pile of receipts from a work trip I took that I haven't filed yet. Um, three books related to the next book I'm working on. Um, an exacto knife. Cause I pulled the shoulder pads out of a coat. Um, when I was in a meeting, let's see, there's a book I just finished about about Lady Diana, I've got the proofs somewhere in this pile. Yeah, oh, they're right here. The the, the sort of die lines from the the um, printer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing that's this week. Another book that I'm working on with a Canadian politician, um, the New York Review of Books, art direction and commissioning work. Um, oh, what else? I'm supposed to be painting some ranunculus for somebody. Um, for a very talented photographer um, who's putting together an anthology. And then 
a bunch of stuff just on the computer. So, you know, little things. And then the, the longer term um, book that I mentioned before about my mother's side of the family, that's my next big book project. Yeah. That's a, that's a <laughs> lot of things to have going on in your brain at one time. And I'm, you know, also a freelancer who's pretty used to having like, you know, six to 12 jobs yeah, at one yeah, time. Right? And that sounds, that even that, sounds like a lot but is do they does it ever feel like you're overwhelmed or like those those various things are fighting for space or do they really feed each other for you some of them do I'm just in this funny threshold moment because of the full-timeness of this job at the review and so I've stopped teaching usually there'd be another folder around here with with teaching stuff and now I'm trying to go okay I shouldn't be it, you know, it's a full-time job. So I should be devoting a little bit more of my time to that. And right now I'm easing out of my multi-freelance um, balance and into something that's going to be obviously a lot more this job and then my books. So um, there'll be less uh, less little bits and pieces and things I agree to do or, you know, those little jobs. Um so yeah, it's a funny, I'm, I, I haven't quite figured, figured it out. This is, they do all right now. They do feel, it feels like I've got way too much on my plate. Maybe not way too much, but too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're in the, the, the thinning, like the thinning stages. The yeah, thinning, exactly. Thinning things out. That makes sense. <laughs> a word that kept occurring to me while I was rereading through your, your archive in preparation for the interview is collage, not because you mm -hmm. actually work in collage very much, but because there is this assembly and kind of archival, it's like some, some, some of your projects more than others have this feeling of like having taken many things from many places mm -hmm. and arranged them in a particular way and then made something more of them than they were, um, like much more than they were before. That's a nice description. Yeah. Yeah. And it's which I think is echoing in my head because of the way you're describing all the many folders on your desktop and on your actual desk and all of the the way that you're kind of accumulating projects and material all the time. Mm -hmm. Is that uh, is that part of your does that ring true as sort of part of your philosophy or the way that you think about? Your process. Yeah, it does. Okay. It sounds it yeah, it sounds appropriate. It sounds apt. Um and collage, yeah, even though I don't glue cut things out and glue them down or do any of that, I never have. It's funny, I've never collaged. It's definitely how I read, how I think a lot of people read in a way, which is why I kind of make the work like that. Um and take, oh. I know how we all read menus. This is how I can make this. I can, you know, use that form, use that read to do something else with the idea of, you know, a list of illustrations or a menu or a, or a table of contents or something like that. Or, um, and so I definitely collage in my delivery, but don't collage in my resultant thing. Um, yeah, that does. It sounds sounds right um <laughs> yeah, but was yeah, that I, always I, how was that always kind of how your how your brain worked let's see that's a good let's 
there's always been a words and pictures aspect. And this is, it was funny. I was going to say something before too, about how, um, how there's a real way in which like a, a little bit of training in graphic design, you know, it wasn't to the extent that I was a, was a competitive swimmer, but a little bit of training in graphic design and experience in art departments, <clears throat> uh, gave me this other little, I don't know, skill sets in terms of how, where the eye goes and how people read physically and how people read emotionally because um, of my experience, sort of art directing, commissioning, laying stuff out, being working at newspapers, understanding how people read the news and how people read pictures in relationship to the news. So using that bit of training and, you know, and trying to, um, and trying to, use that formal understanding to make something experimental, make something informal, but again, drawing on like a pretty, um, a pretty solid, uh, years of experience, you know, going into a newspaper and, and putting out a daily, you know, page. And so that, that mix of, there's always a mix of what am I, you know, what am I obsessed with? What am I interested in? Um, and what's, you know, what's the best way and most economic way, um, both verbally and non-verbally to, to tell it. And again, that sometimes when you think of collage, sometimes it's images and words, sometimes it's this. And so I think your, you know, your, your, um, description of a feeling of collage is, is true. Was it always that way? I guess so. Um, I guess so. One of the things that overwhelms me when I am working in what feels like a collage brain space or when I'm actually trying to just like make a collage for fun, mm-hmm. which I do sometimes, mm-hmm. though not that often, is sensing the point at which the disparate parts have accumulated into something meaningful mm-hmm. and something that sort of is a new entity outside whatever the little scraps have been. And I'm wondering which, which, I'm bringing up because I had wanted to ask you earlier how you know when something, when like one of your folders has enough stuff in it that it's become something that is going to draw your full attention, that you want to see all the way through. Right. Yeah. I don't know that it's a, it's a, it's a case of filling. It's almost a case of like the, the, the action of putting stuff in them is the point. And it's not that when they're full, there's a, there's going to be this, this, um, you know, threshold moment of, of, uh, of, of driving the project forward. I mean, I have, I was just recently given one of the best presents I've ever received. I've always wanted to work larger. And a friend of mine gave me these canvases that were six feet by, you know, four feet. And so I have a folder on my desktop that, um, uh, that just says to paint, <laughs> to paint big. And so I'm, I'm pulling stuff on them going, well, why am I, you know, why this one, why this one? And not all of them are going to work, but it's that, why, why do I want a six foot tall tweeds painting of a tweed skirt? I don't know, but like, I will do that one. So it's this funny, it's almost like that, that, um, magpieing chipmunk process um is that's where i it, it feels really really sort of fun and then for instance i did yesterday sort of go to the studio blow 
this one piece up, like a little floral study I'd done. I sort of tiled it on my printer and blew it up and tried. And it was like, I'd never, ever worked that big before. And it was incredibly terrifying and exciting to put the paint down on this six foot canvas. Um, but yeah, I'm not, sh- the, the, this, this, there's, a, I think there's a quietness to the moment of going, I don't know, print this, I'll tile this out on the printer and, and that it's never really a, uh, I could have, you know, been delayed an hour and it wouldn't have happened yesterday and might've happened in a month or something like that. So I'm not sure I'm answering your question again, but there's never a, there's never a thing where it's like, okay, this is going to be something. It, it's really in, it almost like a de- an oblique decision, like a decision I make with my peripheral vision with my left hand that I'll chase that down. Um, and I don't know if that's something like, um, if that's, if that's fear, um, this, <laughs> this, um, dear friend of mine gave me three canvases. I was like, Oh no, no, no. I need 25 so that <laughs> I can just go, you know, j- just really go at it. And he was like, I totally understand. <laughs> I was like, I'll get them. I'll get the 23 more or 22 more. But, um, but do you know what I mean? Like I need 23 more, 22 more to get that to get that, that experimentation and that, 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 um, looseness. So I don't go, Oh, I've only got one canvas with which to make this masterpiece. It's just sort of like, Oh, one of 25 might be okay. And that happens with writing, with writing stuff too. Like this, um, uh, publisher, small publisher in Australia called Tableau Tales, Gemma Burrell, um, started it recently. She's doing these little books and um i just had kind of again just in the in the fires in the little stove um these paintings i'd been doing of lady diana um and i'd always loved pictures i always loved looking at her I always loved pictures of her getting out of cars it's <laughs> all those pictures of her getting out of cars getting out of cars it's this it's this awkward weird her knees are pressed together she's covering her boobs like just this strange pot, like almost not Pieta, like almost like, but it, it's not, it doesn't have a name. Do you know what I mean? But sure, it should yeah. be named Pieta or it should be named Lesquive or La whatever. Um, <clears throat> and so I just started painting those over and over and over again and had a pile of them, showed a few friends. I wondered if, you know, around the crown, again, like, you know, as a journalist, you're like, do you want to publish some, <laughs> something? into this thing I did, couldn't find anyone in terms of public, um, uh, periodicals to publish it. And then my friend Gemma said, do you have any stories or anything you're working on? I said, I have 85 paintings of Lady Diana getting out of a car. If you want, <laughs> if you want to make that a book and on, and it's actually interesting to, to, to talk about all of this in relation to thresholds and experimentation, because, uh, she said, let me look at them. They're all black and white. And the books she's doing are obviously usually text-based. So she does, she can't afford color printing. Um, and so I said, I can write a, you know, I've got a little, I've got maybe 800 words. I could maybe turn it into, you know, 1500 if you wanted, but there's like a little bit of work of, um, a text to it. So I sent her the images. She loved those. I sent her the text. She loved those. And I said, ah, like the text is too chin strokey essay thing. I want to do something. I want to experiment with that and like push it further. And I just read, um, on uh, beholding the the Roske book about um, about the basketball mm-hmm. 
um, Dr. J's like one incredible backhand um, slam dunk. And I thought, oh, uh, what if I couplet it? I've never written poetry. I mean, this is just, it's embarrassing for me to talk about this with you. Like, but it's out, it's like, it's at the printer now, so I can't call it back. But again, it, it was a real, oh my God, okay, I'm going to couplet it. And I said, I, you know, I, I always talk to Sheila Hetty about stuff. She's like, I hate poetry. Like, I can't, no, like I'm the wrong person. So then I sent it to a poet friend. He really helped. Nick Laird was like, oh, okay. I, I kind of see what you're doing. I think I can help. I was like, please help because I've never, I read poetry. I've never tried to do this. I, I just want to match the read with the looking and kind of do this thing because I'm asking, I'm sort of, I'm sort of asking the readers to look at these, you know, images over and over and over again. Here she comes, here she comes, like, in the car. Um, and then with the text, it just felt such so lumpen when it was just text and essayistic. And um, I wanted it to just sort of like drop or flash or something a little bit more. And it was, it's terrifying. I'm, I'm terrified of it coming out. And again, so it, it's this threshold moment for me having experimented a little bit more formally with type. I mean, I've done it almost design ways. I've done, you know, with guest book, I sort of did all sorts of different forms in that, but this was, this is a different thing. But also with the idea of like Diana, I, I was thinking about the threshold between the cab of a car and the, and the pavement um, of her kind of public, private, divorced, married, mistress, you know, wife, like all of these like different divisions that she, um, and also just like, why are we talking about Lady Diana um, right now? Uh, so, you know, care, not care, <laughs> just all of these things. like deal with the the feeling of being terrified because you're doing like you're writing poetry all of a sudden or you're doing something that you've never done before and you're not sure I know I just have to think nobody gives a shit what you do <laughs> just like nobody gives a fuck like only you do but maybe some of your friends and people who hate you or people who love you like very like just wh why not do it right like no one's gonna see it really I don't know that's my <laughs> that's my kind of little blinker I just put some blinkers on and go like no one cares <laughs> it, it's funny that's like you've said now a couple things in this last hour about like silence and solitude starting with swimming where you were saying mm -hmm. you were talking about swimming as being this kind of weird interesting sport because you're it's, it's like quiet under there and you're by yourself and you're naked. Mm -hmm. And that's not that dissimilar to what you're describing, to sort of the, the mood you're describing here, which is like, okay, there you ha kind of have to just create this space of quiet and be naked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and really go, okay, I care. I, why do I care about these pictures of Diana stepping like, but I do, I have to be honest with myself that I like looking at these pictures and I love painting them. And I don't know if other people will, will care, but you know, there is a, there is a healthy, um, sense of what I care about and why, and I will 
defend that to the death sort of stuff. But in terms of um, the the that the fear of putting it out there, there is this one hesitant thing of like, oh, this is going to be so embarrassing. And this might be like, this one might be. <laughs> I, yeah, I tried to get help with the poetry writing of it. Um, but it's also kind of like, well, why not? Did you figure out why you care so much about Diana getting out of cars? Oh, it's funny. It's, um, it's this, it's photography. It's what she did to the history of photography. It's sort of, there's pre-Diana, there's, there's sort of like eight anno Diana and, and then no, sort of B, B Diana before Diana and anno, anno Diana. Anyway, you know what I'm saying? So there's this, in terms of, um, in terms of public photography, celebrity culture, in terms of how we look at women, how we look at the world, there's this period before Diana. And then now there's this period that we're in, which is TikTok and Instagram and this very A.B. Warburgian moment where I'm, I think photographies can be incredibly sinister and incredibly dark and incredibly sort of, um, loud and, and, um, and manipulative. And I always want to slow, 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 slow photography down. And that's why I'm really interested in, in Diana and especially these, you know, the Royal portrait was what was on mugs and in classrooms and on money. And then suddenly it's this poor woman covering up her boobs and closing her knees, getting out of a car. You know, there's this, what it did to the sovereign, the idea of sovereignty, what it did to the idea of power, what it did to the idea of history was huge too. And so I, I think that's why it's kind of like, there's this, why are we looking at her? You know, like that whole, and really why, not just because she's a, a beautiful, famous, rich white woman, um, uh, but whose whose story became, you know, a cautionary tale. It's like Titanic. It's like it's like Diana's the Titanic of photography, right? And so there's just all of these things swirling around, and all these ideas I'm interested in, in terms of of um, the repetitive image and and poses and iconography, and it all comes down to this thing where this woman's sort of protecting herself and I don't know, it's, or not, or not even protecting herself because she used it too. They were, they were ultimately these self-portraits. So I don't know. I'm, I, I, it, it's interesting. I've been listening to Aminatou So's um, podcast, When Diana Mao, which is great and how um, she's, she's still eternally beloved. She still has the staying power beyond kind of what's happened to um, the royal family. I did actually like Spencer, for the record. Um, I do love turning these these modern day figures into myth and into sort of into ghost story and stuff like that. So I did really like Spencer, but she's just a funny one. She's, she's a funny one, Diana. She's like she's really of our time, and and kind of keeps keeps coming up. Uh, in a way. And, and again, it's a ghost story. It's a ghost story. Like, there's, her, there's her facsimile. It's another ghost <laughs> story. Like you have a, this tendency to work on ghost stories. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And again, I think photography and ghost stories are very related. And, and again, the thin place is essentially like the emulsion on paper or the, 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 you know, like the, this, this idea that you can look at life, that you can stop it and look at it. That's a ghost. Like it's crazy. Sorry. I'm just like, I could rant. I'm so so interested. I'm so interested in photography and this idea and our need to sort of, and our love of the love of the dead and our, you know, and, and, and our, and our need to want to picture things, you know, um, what that has to do with faith. Um, anyway, yeah. I wish like Martha Graham or Pina Bausch were around to, 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 to to choreograph that image (sighs) of her with her knees and her, like, can you imagine? Yeah. Like a dancer doing that. It's such a strange torque. Um, you should find a dancer. I mean, it's, I mean, <laughs> I agree with you that Martha Graham and or Pina Bausch are the, are the go-tos for that. But given that they can only work on it in ghost form, I feel like you have to, <laughs> I feel like you, you could find a choreographer to do something really interesting. Or, or a video artist could probably take all of those, imagine all those hours of her getting out of cars that are probably on, 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 on film too, right? Or on video and isolate. And, you know, Paul Pfeiffer did that with a basketball. He removed all the players and just had the basketball moving around the court. Like he could m- remove everything and just have her getting out. I really am into this amalgamation. And maybe it's just because these are subjects that interest me too, obviously, but this amalgamation of the repetitive image and our need to see something and our need to preserve and be able to revisit the experience of seeing something, which means going back and looking functionally at a ghost of something and that relationship to religion and all that stuff. Where Mm -hmm. does that Mm -hmm. come from for you? I mean, there's so much consistency in your work, in your, in your fascination with, with the ghost story or the ghost image. Um, Mm -hmm. Where does that, where does that come from? I don't know. As you were talking, the word proof, just proof, the idea of proof, like just when you're talking about like um, ghosts and, and did you say Catholicism or something? Maybe you didn't. I but, didn't. But religion? Did you say I religion? I said religion because you said had religion. mentioned religion at one point. Yeah. I mean, faith and proof, faith and proof. You know, I loved all the proof, the doubting stories in the New Testament. I was raised Catholic wasn't baptized, raised Catholic. Um, and, you know, doubting Thomas or Lazarus or um, the Garden of Gethsemane, like they're all these like weird moments, these like thin place moments when he, you know, or the uh, ag- yeah, agony in the garden. And then um, I-, I loved all those stories because they were probably, you know, I loved ghost stories as a kid. Um, I don't know why it's been a consistent thing. Also, well, it's also, I'm also so interested in it now because, and this is what, you know, at Columbia, what I was trying to teach was, um, was use, the use of images and pictures and photography um, uh, that the nonfiction fiction and poetry students um, who wanted to use images, sort of guiding them into kind of how, uh, without illustrating, they could use these things. It's so fun to talk about um, the practice of reading, um, pictures. And I, and I wish I could articulate it better, but just the sort of, um, literacy that we've got, like a natural literacy now that's happening so quickly because of Instagram and things like that. Um, but just, you know, started with pictorial, started with, um, started with, um, 
publication design. Um, I don't know. I think it's, it's that it's, it's sort of an interest in how we read and information and news is conveyed plus an interest in, um, in proof in the thin places, like the, um, you know, where, what you can see and what you can't see happens. Right. And a lot of a lot of what I do in my work is sort of go, how much can I not tell you? And you'll know exactly what I'm saying. You know. Thresholds is a production of Lit Hub Radio. We're produced by Drew Broussard and Justin Alvarez. Music and editing by Laura Faye Oshavud of Arthur Moon. Our art is by Kirsten Huber. Special thanks to Farrar Strauss and Drew. I'm Jordan Kissner. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jordan.Kissner. We'll see you next week.